banded together from remote galaxies are 13 of the most sinister villains of all time, the Legion of Doom. Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. Only one group dares to challenge this intergalactic threat, the Super Friends. Justice League of America versus the Legion of Doom. This is the Challenge of the Super Friends. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 112 of the Man of Screen Podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode I'm going to continue my run through the second half of the fall 1978 season of Super Friends, and that will bring us to the new Super Friends episodes. Invasion of the Brain Creatures, and The Incredible Space Circus. Those two episodes sound just as exciting as their titles make them seem. And the challenge of the Super Friends episodes, Conquerors of the Future, and the final challenge. I'm not going to lie, folks. I'm not really looking forward to discussing the new Super Friends episodes this week as I watch them. You know, very subpar when you consider what we've had in the uh, previous weeks. But before we get that, we have email to address as always. This particular email is from, you guessed it, Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen, episode number 101. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Wow. In Day of the Plant Creatures, it's amazing that the plant creatures affect even Superman. If I were one of the other super friends, I would be extremely reluctant to go anywhere near those things. Anything that can turn Superman into a plant must be pretty powerful. In Dr. Fright, as you noted, the Doctor certainly seemed very much like Batman's villain Scarecrow, so it's a bit odd to see Superman and Wonder Woman fight him. I agree with you that Superman shouldn't be affected by the fear gas, and by the same token, he shouldn't be affected by a man-made antidote either. I guess, though, there really wouldn't be a story if he hadn't been affected. Also, we see here more of the not-really-bad-guy-just-misguided-good-guy approach, similar to what we saw for most of Season 1. Super Friends vs. Super Friends by the title had me worried that we'd have a Batman v Superman vibe. I should have realized that, in 1977, DC was in the Bronze Age when the Justice Leaguers were still quite friendly with each other. I like the idea that the people of Oceania used a muscle control ray, which allowed Superman to use non-muscular powers like Heat Vision to break their hold. I'm not generally a fan of heroes versus heroes stories. Like you, I leave that to Marvel, but in Marvel Comics, those stories are frequently based on misunderstanding, and here, it's a fake fight anyway. It's good to see the Oceanans end up understanding that forced gladiatorial combat is wrong. The monster of Dr. Droid gives us Superman and Wonder Woman teaming up again, it makes some sense to put these two strongest super friends together, but it must be hard to write a story that challenges such strength. To be honest, I'm more a fan of Superman-Batman team-ups myself, because I grew up reading World's Finest Comics in the Silver Age. In Energy Mass, it is really good to see the Atom. I always enjoy him because I was always a short kid, and I'm still a short adult, so it's good to see a small fella being a hero. Thanks, as always, for a fun episode, and best of luck with your second hundred episodes. Live long and prosper, Dave. Yeah, Dave, I'm really uh, thinking a great deal about that second hundred episodes and where that's going to lead me. But as far as Dave's uh, letter go, I don't have much to add to his comments on the Day of the Plant Creatures and uh, Dr. Fright. I've said pretty much everything I need to say about those episodes and the episodes themselves. So if you missed that, that's episode 101, go check it out. Now, unlike Dave, I was never worried that there'd be a Batman v Superman vibe at Super Friends versus Super Friends, you know, knowing the era and knowing what DC was doing in that era. 
you pretty much knew that the Super Friends weren't going to fight each other in a Batman v Superman type way, even though there was manipulation from the villains involved. And, of course, uh, the heroes outsmarted the villains by staging a fake fight that Aquaman won. And Dave is a big fan of the Justice Leaguers uh, being quite friendly with each other, and uh, I like that idea. I like the idea of the uh, Justice League members uh, kind of complementing each other's powers and abilities. You know, Superman can pretty much do anything, but the other heroes have uh, their specializations that they uh, bring to the table. You know, Superman may be able to do everything, but nobody does speed faster than the Flash. Nobody does the water better than... uh, Aquaman does, and nobody humans are quite like Batman does. And yes, by the time I recorded this episode, I was tired of uh, heroes fighting heroes, especially with what we've gotten in some of the uh, more recent films. And of course, Dave, that the Oceanians ended up uh, understanding that forced gladiatorial combat is wrong. It was a 1970s cartoon. Of course, there'd be a moral lesson involved. And yeah, more Superman and Wonder Woman. I prefer Superman and Batman team-ups because, you know, I think Superman's great abilities and Batman's lack of superpowers really uh, makes uh, those two heroes show what they're best at when Superman's powers aren't going to solve the problem. It's going to be Batman and his street-level prowess that's going to solve it, and vice versa. When you put Superman and Wonder Woman together, you have two powerhouses, and there's not nearly as much drama there, or chemistry, I think, as there is with Batman and Robin. And I'm kind of surprised about Dave's comment that he's a rather short adult. You know, all the pictures I've seen of Dave on uh, Facebook, as with Facebook friends, he always seemed, uh, you know, of decent height. I'm not saying he's a six foot seven giant, and he probably isn't, but I thought Dave was around six feet. If Dave was a short adult, I can only imagine what I am in comparison. So, I really got nothing else to add. So, thank you, Dave, for writing in. You can write in as well, manascreen at gmail.com. Right now, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back with the new Super Friends episode, Invasion of the Brain Creatures, and the challenge of the Super Friends episode, Conquerors of the Future. Hang around, folks. In the decade of the 1970s, even the great hero Superman was not spared the ravages of money-hungry producers. In these times of fear and confusion, the job of bringing him to screen was the responsibility of Richard Donner, a popular American director whose demand for verisimilitude had become a symbol of hope for fans of Superman. This October. Sumo, the Man of Screen podcast celebrates the near 40th anniversary of the film that launched the genre as the Man of Screen podcast celebrates Superman the Movie Nazis. 
five episodes covering Superman the movie. And that will include special guests. Tom Benya. Patrick Delmore. Bob Fisher. Scott Gardner. Dario Gonzalez. Gene Hendricks. Aaron Henley. Brian Hughes. Layla. Andrew Layla. J. David Weeder, but you can call me Dave. So set your favorite podcaster to Superman the Movie Right here on All right, welcome back, folks. All of the episodes in this segment had an original broadcast date of November 18th, 1978. And we're going to begin with the new Super Friends episode, Invasion of the Brain Creatures. And our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. The situation looks grim when a horde of brain creatures take control of the Super Friends' minds. That's it. That is all the homepage had to offer me for this episode. I looked on the Super Friends wiki to find a more detailed synopsis. The page was blank. And that is kind of what tells me everything I kind of want to know about this episode. Not a lot here. The Super Friends get their minds taken over by some brain creatures. They fight back. They win. End of story. I could have written my own synopsis, but since I kind of do that through my notes anyway, so I didn't. So let's get into this, shall we? I know you're looking forward to it just as much as I am. So we start off at this observatory where a group of astronomers are finding something strange about the magnetic field of Mars. Dr. Varga, these computer readouts indicate an extreme change in the magnetic field on the planet Mars. I see what you mean, Professor Brooks. Corbett, reset the telescope coordinates. Get us a view of Mars. Right, Dr. Varga. Oh, it's coming in now. I'll put it on the view screen magnifier. Those charged particles from Mars' magnetic field are heading straight for Earth. There's no telling what might happen when it collides with the Earth's magnetic field. They've got a pretty strong telescope that can spot charged particles on Mars that are heading straight for Earth. So, whatever these charged particles are, they're wreaking all kinds of havoc. Destroying bridges, hitting planes, and just sending people in general running for their lives. And, like I mentioned, the plane that was struck by lightning and... Even with the the plane struck by lightning, I've mentioned this before about the voice acting in this show, that the passengers are very calm. No panic, just very matter-of-fact statements about the predicament that they're in. Fortunately, the super friends are keeping track of the lightning storm and doing nothing about it. They're just kind of watching it and seeing what's going on. Gleek is sleepwalking, and we get a lesson about whether we should disturb sleepwalkers. You know. Holy kilowatts, this lightning storm we're having is increasing the electrical activity all over the Earth. Keep an eye on the trouble alert, Robin. I have a feeling we won't get much rest tonight. <laughs> it looks like Leek isn't getting much rest either. I'll put him back in bed. No, Zan. Didn't anyone ever tell you that you never wake up a sleepwalker? They sure did, Jaina. But they never said a thing about waking up a refrigerator robber. <laughs> Oh no! It's the trouble alert! Super friends, I'm Dr. Varga of the Metropolis Observatory. Our computers have confirmed that the lightning that's battering the Earth has been caused by a strange disturbance in Mars' magnetic field. But what we can't explain is that it seems to have been created by some sort of unnatural cause. We'll take care of it, Doctor. Superman, look! 
According to the Trouble Alert emergency map, that lightning is causing disasters all over the globe. Wonder Woman, Aquaman, you and I will handle the emergencies. You two monitor the Trouble Alert. Robin and I will take off from Mars and find out what's causing that magnetic disturbance. Jaina admonishes Zan about how you shouldn't uh, wake up someone who's sleepwalking. And I've heard the same thing, too. I had a friend in high school who sleepwalks. And I have heard that you shouldn't wake them up for these sheer purposes that if you do when they're kind of in the middle of a jaunt around the house, that they might become disoriented upon waking up and realizing they're not in their bed, that they're in the middle of the kitchen. Again, I don't know how true that is, but I can only imagine from my own experience that if I was, if I thought I was in bed and find myself in another room, not knowing how I got there, I'd probably feel pretty alarmed too. I mean, I get disoriented if I fall asleep in the middle of the day and wake up after dark. You know, I don't have any idea what day it is, so something would not happen sometimes, so... I guess what I'm saying is you shouldn't bother somebody when they're sleepwalking. That sounds like good advice, and that's that. So, the scientists report that what we saw in the previous scenes about how the particles from Mars are hitting Earth, and apparently the super-powered heroes are going to take care of the problems on Earth while Batman and Robin fly to Mars to check things out. Yep, they're going to Mars. Like it's around the corner. You would think, you know, they'd be handling Earthbound problems, and maybe Superman or something would be going to Mars, but nope. Batman and Robin are going to take the Bat rocket ship, and they're going to check out what's going on on Mars. So Superman is having trouble at the Golden Gate Bridge, and he's kind enough to tell us that he needs to weld it back with his heat vision before we see him do just that. That's a thing from the uh, Filmation cartoons that I'm not excited to see back. Super friends have kind of gotten away from it early on, but it seems to be roaring back that the characters are telling uh, the young viewers what they're going to do. Don't insult the kid's intelligence. Just show. Don't tell. The kid is paying attention. He saw that Superman's heat vision did something to hold that bridge together. So here are Batman and Robin on Mars with just air helmets, no spacesuits to speak of, and uh, Robin's device finds the energy source, and we see a bunch of little brain creatures decide that they can't let the Super Friends find them. And they look like little brains with uh, one eye on the bottom, and they have a green glow around them, and like I mentioned, the eye is green. And then they're like little floaty things, they're not walking or anything, they're just kind of floating around the surface of Mars looking for people to take over. Fortunately for them, Batman stumbles right upon them. So Batman finds creatures who need to protect themselves, and they attack. And one of the brain creatures kind of oozes its way into Batman's helmet and into his brain and takes over his mind very easily. So the taking over Batman calls the Super Friends telling them to come to Mars. And Robin uh, catches Batman lying and uh, to the Super Friends. Not knowing what's going on, he asks Batman about it, but he gets put into some kind of thing that looks like a Martian tree for his trouble. So Superman gets a call to go see Batman on Mars. You know, why not? But instead he goes to the Hall of Justice first to... Uh, Pick up Wonder Woman, presumably, and they both go to Mars, leaving the twins alone to watch the trouble alert. So, upon arrival on Mars, they find Batman buried up to his chest in the Martian sand, while Robin is still over in that whatever the hell he's in. And it's interesting enough that even early on, the brain creatures didn't try to take over Robin. I guess at first they felt as though Batman was all they needed. (sighs) So, a tornado generates a giant one-eyed Mars monster, and Superman sinks into the sand, and he tries to blow it away, which he does. And then he chases the other brain creatures who are about to drop Wonder Woman in the lava, but Superman makes a nice catch as he goes across the surface of the volcano. Superman again informs us that he's going to create a sandstorm, and he just blows the creatures away. So that's kind of it for the brain creatures for the moment. Aquaman, meanwhile, he is on Earth, and he makes the astute judgment that something affected Batman's mind. And then Batman and the brains attack the Super Friends. So Superman looks before he leaps and gets his mind taken over for his troubles. But Wonder Woman and Aquaman, who actually is on Mars, not on Earth, I'm sorry about that. Join Robin in the Mars tree thing. So here we are. The world's finest team is captured by floating brains. Yeah, you heard me say that. Do you want me to say it again just so you're sure? Fine, I will. 
the world's finest team has been captured by floating brains. <sighs> Batman and Superman are now scooping up asteroids and uh, throwing them at the Earth because the brains want them to do that. And while the twins wonder what's going on, I guess they're going to go see Superman throwing the asteroid, but the episode doesn't go back to them to determine what the twins are seeing. So Superman throws a meteor and causes a tidal wave in New York City. So the Wonder Twins are definitely going to respond to that. Zan becomes an ice jet and Jaina a hawk. I am not sure what either of them are going to do, and they're not sure what they're going to do either, as Zan becomes an ice dam, which does nothing, and the water just blows right through him. Meanwhile, Superman is showing pretty good form with his rock throwing, and then we got Jaina being useful to deflecting meteors to unpopulated areas. I believe she's a hawk at this point, she's knocking stuff aside with her wing. So now Batman and Superman want to take care of the Wonder Twins, and I suddenly feel bad for the twins. But Batman and Superman are having some trouble with the twins, and now the brains plan to take over Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and Robin. But Wonder Woman has a better idea. Which we never hear about because she's immediately taken over by one of the brain creatures. But when she's in the invisible jet, Wonder Woman shows great strength here. Great strength of mind. And she beats the programming, and steers the invisible jet into a magnetic cloud, which removes the brain creature from their heads. So we've learned something here. There's some kind of relationship between the brain creatures and the mag- these magnetic fields. It was uh, strange magnetic fields that started the goings-on at the beginning of the episode, and now the magnetic field here is going to have some kind of effect on the brain creatures. So, Wonder Woman's jaunt through the magnetic field saved the three super friends in her jet, her Aquaman and Robin. And the expelled brain creatures are pissed, and a ton of them just head to Earth in an, in an invasion force. So Batman and Superman send the Wonder Twins out to sea in a leaky boat, and suddenly they go back into space for more rock throwing. On the boat, the twins are struggling to connect because, you know, they always get captured and they're always placed far enough apart that they can't activate their Wonder Twin powers. And we had a moment of uh, Gleek struggling to get to them by bouncing on the uh, boat's wake as they careen toward the Statue of Liberty. So Gleek has to save them, which, I don't know what's worse, getting saved by one of the Wonder Twins or getting saved by Gleek. Because if you're getting, if you're on a runaway boat and you're going to get saved by Gleek, you might end up running away into the path of another boat, which is what happens here. And that was the second thing Gleek tr- tried and failed to do. Because Gleek couldn't do anything to get them to con- connect to activate their powers. All the sequence really shows is that Gleek shouldn't be piloting a boat. But, under the water, here's Aquaman doing something for himself for a change, as he uses his undersea strength to turn the twins' boat towards shore. For those of you who are not incredibly familiar with Aquaman and have listened to previous episodes, Aquaman doesn't have super strength in the sense that Superman does. Which he, but since Aquaman's body can withstand tremendous pressure of the ocean depths, then he has sufficient strength to match. But he saves the twins' boat with his own brute strength, and I have expected him to get the sea life to do it, but he doesn't. A step in the right direction there for Aquaman. In space, Wonder Woman leads Batman and Superman into the magnetic cloud so they can get rid of the brain creatures. And so they go to the Hall of Justice to plan, but the brain creatures have now come to Earth. And Wonder Woman has had the idea to increase the Earth's magnetic field so that they can trap the creatures. Okay, you know, I assume uh, increasing the Earth's magnetic field is something just about you could do on any occasion on demand. So Superman does something at the North Pole, and Batman does something at the South Pole, and they're increasing the magnetic field, which I assume would, in the real world, cause some kind of disaster. But, you know, I guess that's a risk they're willing to take in this show, as the... uh, it's not having any effect on Earth, and it's wreaking havoc with the brain creatures. And then after that, Superman sends the brain creatures away somewhere. And we get an ending about how relieved everyone is that their minds are now their own. Well, I guess we can rest our minds. Those brain creatures are billions of miles away by now. It's nice to know I'll be able to do my own thinking from now on. Yeah, whoever said two brains are better than one? Speaking of resting our minds, where's Gleek? 
It's way past his bedtime. Uh-oh, there he is. Oh, no, you don't. You're not going to try that one again. I told you never to wake up sleepwalkers, especially when they're carrying banana cream pies. <laughs> I'm relieved that this episode is coming to an end. And we, and we revisit the sleepwalking gag, and this time Zan disturbs the sleepwalker and gets a banana cream pie in his face. Oh, boy. Sometimes the title of the episode can tell you when it's going to be a bad one, so I'm not surprised that I really didn't care for this episode. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that I'm not really a big fan of the body snatchers trope, but overall this was not one of the better efforts of any season of Super Friends. So, let's move on to... The challenge of the Super Friends episode, Conquerors of the Future. And we've got a slightly better synopsis this time from supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. The Legion decides to attempt conquest in the year 3984, where no Super Friends can stop them. I can't believe it, Super Friends. Five minutes after the crown jewels were reported stolen to Scotland Yard, the Legion of Doom turned in the crooks and the jewel. It's hard to believe that after all these years of evil, the Legion could ever work for the side of justice. But all the evidence seems to prove they're all right. Something's coming in on the trouble alert. Super friends, I am Lycan of Planet Santa. Solar flares from our double sun are ravaging Santa. Only you can help before it is too late. Santa is trillions of light years from Earth. We'll have to leave immediately. There's no need, Superman. The Legion of Good is already on the way. We'll take care of the Santar's emergency and prove to you once and for all that we are good. <laughs> Those fools. We'll show them we're good, all right. Good at conquering justice. <laughs> exactly. And we'll do it by traveling far into the future, where there aren't any super friends to bother us. In the meantime, I'll leave a clue on planet Santar. That will lead them on a wild riddle chase. See you in the future! <laughs> While the Riddler leads Wonder Woman, Hawkman, and Black Vulcan into a deadly trap on another planet, which requires Black Vulcan's electric powers, the Legion conquers the future Earth. Then the Legion attacks the galaxy. Batman, Robin, and Samurai follow a clue of the Riddlers to a trap in an Egyptian tomb. This is the last pyramid, Batman. If we find nothing in this one, we must have deciphered the clue wrong. This is the end of the line. And not a sign of the Riddler or the Legion of Doom. That's what you think, super fools! You figured out my clue perfectly, except for one thing. You weren't careful enough and wound up in a tomb. But not the Pharaoh's tomb, your tomb! He's trapped us. These walls must be a foot thick. The Bat Mini Jack should do the trick. It looks like the Riddler was prepared for our escape. He has left us another clue. You've escaped with your lives, but to us, you're long dead. If you bet you can find us, we'll be a dollar ahead. Holy confusion, Batman. What does it mean? It's simple, Robin. Where would the Legion of Doom have to be for the Super Friends to be long dead? In the future. Right. And if we bet we can find them, they'll be a dollar ahead. A dollar equals a hundred cents. Short for a hundred centuries. Of course, Batman. The Legion of Doom has gone into the future. 10,000 years. We've got to notify the others at the Hall of Justice. 
Superman, Green Lantern, and Flash head into a trap in the far future, but combine their powers to escape and find a history book that tells what time the Legion targeted. It looks like the Legion of Doom has finally created a proper future for themselves. There's one thing I don't understand, Super Friends. How could you have possibly found us when we could have been anywhere in the future? It was simple. We found a history book that told us exactly when you conquered the Earth. In fact, we knew for certain that we'd capture you, too. How could you have possibly known that? Very easily. Not only did this book tell us the Legion of Doom took control in 3984, it also mentioned that they were captured shortly afterwards by the Super Friends. Alright, like I said, that was a better synopsis than we got for the Brain uh, Creatures episode. And this episode is going to bring back time travel, which is becoming a favorite trope of uh, the Challenge of the Super Friends writers so far. I believe this is at least the third episode that it deals with time travel. The time trap and the secret origin of the Super Friends come to mind immediately in addition to this one. So, it's clearly a trope that the writers enjoy using. So, But this episode gets off to a very strange start. as, And it's so strange and almost unrelated that it's not even in the synopsis. Hal Jordan is on vacation in Paris when the train he's on gonna goes out of control. It's one of those things where you think of so much for him having a vacation as there's no rest for a superhero. And something is wrong with the coloring here as Hal Jordan's skin tone seems to change from shot to shot. As he's looking to the uh, right of the screen in uh, one, of, one of the close-ups, he has more of a lighter complexion. And then his regular, uh, you know, light, almost brown skin is darker in, in another shot. So Sinestro shows up and creates a giant spring to stop the train and save the passengers, and that leaves Green Lantern seven different kinds of confused. And Green Lantern looks rather odd here. His costume doesn't seem to go up as high as it should, and it's almost like his neck is exposed. Like, did he you know, forget to finish making the costume when he put his ring on? I don't know. But obviously what it is is an error in the art. So, yeah, Sinestro saved a couple trains in Paris. So there's that. Then now we go to a robbery in Gotham City, and Batman and Robin show up as Toyman also drops in to stop the robbery, and he does what you expect the toy man to do. He sends a wind-up toy after the criminals and catches them that way. And it's a confusing beginning, because there's no explanation as to why the Legion of Doom is fighting crime, and if you're watching this episode for the first time, you think that there's a goal to this, that there's something they're hoping to achieve by pretending to be good guys for for the time that they're doing it. And now, a blimp uh, hits a skyscraper in Metropolis as a uh, Hawkman and Wonder Woman show up to save it. I don't understand where Superman is, but he's not there. And meanwhile, Grodd is saving Wonder Woman's life for some bizarre reason, and Bizarro saves the blimp, and the pilot thanks Bizarro as if this is the most normal thing in the world. As if, I mean, if the Legion of Doom existed in our world, and after years of doing evil and terrorizing and this, that, and the other thing, if one of them suddenly caught my blimp and set it in the ground, Knowing their past, I'd be concerned too, but nope, not this pilot. He's like, oh, thanks, Bizarro. Thanks for saving us, Bizarro. All right, Grodd, what's going on? <sighs> Nothing, Hawkman. We're just tired of continually fighting the Super Friends and losing. We change. Now Legion of Doom is Legion of Good. Yeah, a likely story. And we're getting reports of the Legion helping out. Superman is suspicious because why wouldn't you be? I mean, these people have never shown any inklings of goodness before, why would they start now? Then they hear from an alien whose world is suffering from solar flares, and Superman takes off. But then Luthor cuts off, cuts in on the plan and says he'll take care of it to prove that the Legion is good. And of course, Luthor gives away his hand as he turns toward the Legion, who the Super Friends can't see, and they form their plan. Apparently, 
it's two pronged. There's the future, and then there's the Legion of Good. And at six minutes into the episode, I wasn't sure how the two related to each other. And the only way they relate to each other is in the fact that I guess the Legion... Because Superman doesn't, doesn't show up to go to this alien planet because the Legion of Doom said they were going. So maybe that's some way to discredit the Super Friends, but the episode doesn't explore it going forward. Now that we've found out that the uh, Legion of Doom is uh, got this plan on the future, we're going to go into that plan and this whole Legion of Good thing just disappears. So I'll be honest, I wonder what the point of it all is. I mean, was the episode running short and they needed to add something to the beginning? And that's where this whole Legion of Doom gag came from, but it really has no bearing on the rest of the story. I mean, the the only thing that happens on this alien planet is that the Super Friends are upset about how devastated it is, and that's where they get the Riddler's clue. So even though the Legion decides they're only going to go 2,000 years in the future, Riddler says he's going to send them 10,000 years, so that's the ruse to get rid of the Super Friends, to send them further into the future than they need to go. So 2,000 years in the future, we have two races of people. There are the primitives and the advanced people. The advanced people look like humans, and the advanced uh, look almost beast-like, and they're attacking the city of the humans. And these humans look pretty much like us, except uh, in long robes. So basically what happens is, to stop the attack on the city, the bearded man, who's their leader, turns on the sun, and the beasts go and hide. Now we know the beasts are afraid of sunlight as well. So, the Legion is thought to have come from the Dome City, at least that's what the primitives think. But Black Manta turns their power against them while Luther is going to get the Primitives to help take over the city. But this is when we learned the Legion didn't help this doomed planet that was being bombarded by the two suns. Apparently the Super Friends eventually do arrive on Decimated Santar after getting a plea from the planet asking them why they didn't come, and that's when they find the riddle on the underside of the Hall of Doom. And in the future, the Legion has outsmarted the humans as they uh, chase them into the city, and this reminds me a lot of the Star Trek episode, The Cloud Miners, when the intellectuals lived in the clouds and the miners lived in the dark in the mines. That wasn't a great episode of that show at all. And uh, Captain Kirk's motives were a little bit more noble than the Legion of Dooms. So, 2,000 years in the future, 1,000 years beyond the Legion of Superheroes, the Legion of Doom conquers the Earth. So, Hawkman and Green Lantern end up in some kind of trap as uh, something has happened, and they are concerned about their atoms being scattered throughout the Earth. So, they call in the clue, and it'll slip through your fingers if you give us the roll, or be very careful, and you'll end up in the tomb or something like that. Well, either way, the clue sends them to the Egyptian pyramids. Meanwhile, in the future, the Legion has subjugated anyone they can find, and, of course, uh, Luthor is unsatisfied at just taking over one planet. By the time the Legion is done there after the entire universe, you know, just a little bit of work before lunch. The Batman, Robin, and Samurai go to a pyramid and find the Riddler, or at least something he left behind, and they wound up in a tomb and are trapped. But, of course, the Bat Mini Jack uh, emerges from Batman's utility belt, and Batman finds a new clue and determines that the Legion is 10,000 years in the future. But we know they've only gone 2,000. So, Green Lantern, Flash, and Superman head into the future, and they find pretty much a dead Earth. Before I move on, I should mention how easy it is for the Super Friends to time travel in this episode. And they've done it in other episodes, too. That's going to be a huge contrast to Superman the movie when I start covering that in a few weeks. When it takes Superman a great deal of effort to travel through time. Here, no problem. So, Superman finds no life forms, but they do find the giant spider. Is that not a life form? And it's so evolved that it's immune to everything the Super Friends can throw at them. And all of a sudden, they're surrounded by spiders. And meanwhile, the Legion has taken over multiple planets throughout the universe, and they're having an easy time of it. I mean, is there no one in the entire universe that can challenge these people? Wow. I mean, the whole universe? Not one race that can't handle these people from 2,000 years in the past? So after Superman, Green Lantern, and Flash end up in some kind of giant spider web, 
They combine their powers to get out. I understand Superman and Green Lantern combining heat vision and his power brain, but Flash uses his body to emit energy. Not sure how that works, since this is a good 15 or so years before the Speed Force is gone of. So, not sure how this works, but it does. And the uh, three super friends rather conveniently find an old library, and they search the history of the books to find out when the Legion took over Earth. Yeah, they conveniently find the book of Earth history from 2000 through 7000. So, 5,000 years of human history in one volume. So, the super friends find, find out when to go. They go back to 3984, and since they're time-traveling, can't they just go back to before the Legion took over the galaxy? But nope, they go back to after, and we're going to get more on that later. And the Legion has nothing for Superman and Green Lantern as they make rather light work of the Legion. And I really like Hal Jordan hitting a missile back at Sinestro like it's a baseball. And then Superman catches up to Luthor and the rest of the Legion. Flash defeats the Primitives and takes Broad into custody. The Earth is given back to its rightful owners and the Legion is brought home quite perplexed. And here's where things get dicey as though he does the time travel. And actually, when I at least I thought things got dicey here. Because Superman found the history book that told them when the Legion took over the Earth. And then it also told them that the Legion was captured shortly thereafter. So the Super Friends were always destined to save the future. And even with the Legion irrelevant, the human race is still gone in 10,000 years in this show's future. I wonder if any kids put that together. It's kind of a bummer. Interestingly enough, this episode doesn't show the Legion escaping. They're still in custody when the episode ends. That episode was better. I'm, like I said, not sure what the whole Legion of Good stuff was about. It just seemed like a way to kill some time. And the episode rather inelegantly shifted from one sword to the other. Personally, I'd rather see the Legion try to trick the Super Friends into thinking that they're good than what we actually got, even if what we actually got was kind of entertaining. But it could have been its own episode. Legion of Good Stuff could have been its own episode, and this could have been its own episode. Just fleshed out a little bit more. Just have a feeling that these were two scripts that tend to got mashed together to form one uh, incoherent whole. So, that being said, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back with the new Super Friends episodes, the Incredible Space Circus, and the final challenge. Hang around, folks. Afternoon, everybody. Ryan! How's that baby treating you, Mr. Daly? Like Thanos, snapping his fingers at my bank account. In that case, how about a beer on the house? Sure, gotta give my mouth something to do between podcasts. Say, Ryan, I don't get how you have so much time for podcasting. Doesn't your wife want you spending time with the baby? Would you? Truth is, I think she's a little worried about how much time I'm spending with the kid, ever since his first words were Dagobah system. (laughs) Now she wants me to go out and do something mature, something productive, and most of all, something lucrative that can support the family. So you're going to... Podcast about cheers, yeah. (laughs) That kid's not going to start college for 18 years. I got time. Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Network. Alright, welcome back folks. The episodes in this segment had an original broadcast date of November 25th, 1978. And we're going to start with the new Super Friends episode, The Incredible Space Service. And our two-sentence synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Your number one source for Superman information on the web. Space trappers hunt animals to exhibit in their space circus. Oh boy! I can't wait to see the incredible space circus at the Metropolis Fairgrounds. I wonder what's holding up Wonder Woman. She was supposed to meet us here an hour ago. I'm afraid we'll have to cancel our date to go to the circus, Jaina. We've got to try to find Wonder Woman. 
I'll check the oceans. Robin and I will scour the globe. Good. I'll follow the Invisible Jet's flight plan and see if she's still in space. Yeah, it looks like they've got the bases covered. Oh well, I guess we'll have to go to the circus alone. When Wonder Woman tries to stop them, she gets turned into an alien creature and put on exhibit. And I'll add some stuff there too. She uh, ends up fighting a mutated Aquaman and the Super Friends defeat the uh, circus uh, ringmaster and his partner. Now that's what I call a fitting finish for a pair of animal poachers. That's right, Robin. Behind bars, like the animals they stole. Thanks for catching them, Super Friends. The Folian Council has been trying to apprehend these two for years. I guess the incredible animals in the Folian jungle will be safe now. Speaking of animals, have you seen Gleek? Gleek, no! Like Gleek wanted to create a monster banana, but wound up creating a banana monster. <laughs> <laughs> so, another lousy episode. It almost seems as though they are running out of steam as uh, we get toward uh, the end of season three. After this episode, there are only two more episodes covering the 1978 season of Super Friends. There is episode 113 and 114. Before heading into Superman the movie, the movie month in episode 115. So, four more episodes of each. And if the new Super Friends episodes are of the quality of the ones I've discussed in this episode, then I'm not really looking forward to the next two episodes, I'll tell you that. So, Space Big Game Hunters. And I suddenly have a feeling we're going to have a heavy-handed message here. These guys kind of remind me of Safari Joe from Thundercats in the 80s. But they're putting on a space circus, and they're hunting on... Two Pegasuses, or Pegasi, as they hassle some kind of space dragon. And these guys look very western cowboyish, Very human-looking aliens, I must say that. Now here's some guy who looks like a space cop calling the Super Friends. Wonder Woman rescues these two space drivers who are voiced by the actors who provide the voices for Zan and Jaina. The male is, is a little bit better at disguising his voice than the girl is. She sounded exactly like Jaina, and the male character did a little bit better. So, this cop is calling into Wonder Woman, and he gets blasted in, into a space ape. And I can tell you, we're on our way to a great episode. Wonder Woman has landed on this strange alien planet, and that happens to be home to the most dangerous jungle in the galaxy. And it's got hunters and intergalactic lizards. So, Wonder Woman ropes one of the hunters, but then she gets roped herself by the other cowboy. She breaks the rope and pursues the hunter on a giant space frog. Yeah, it just keeps getting better and better, doesn't it? And then she gets hit by the mutation ray. And this turns Wonder Woman into a rhinoceros. Think Rocksteady from Ninja Turtles. That's pretty much what we're getting here. So the Space Circus is coming to Metropolis because of course it is. And I want to know how long Wonder Woman is missing as there is a picture of the uh, mutated Wonder Woman on the uh, promotion wall. It takes time for these things to come together for posters to get printed and vice versa. But nope, there she is. You know, all of her rhinoceros-like glory on the marquee to advertise the show. But... They haven't heard from Wonder Woman in, in an hour, so that's how long all of this promotion takes to get it, get together. So Superman runs into the space travelers that Wonder Woman helped that Superman find the falling cops. And that's when he learns about the missing officer that Wonder Woman tried to help. Now, Superman is attacked by the uh, space cop ape. Unable to find Wonder Woman, he contacts everyone else to report how little he's found. And he didn't seem to notice that the ape was wearing the falling cop's uniform and symbol on his chest on the upper left corner. 
Superman did not bring his brain in this episode, and I'm guessing the writers didn't either. And that's clearly something he missed, as the show made an effort to actually show us the symbol. So, there we go. Zan and Jane are at the circus, and Gleek found the rhinoceros Wonder Woman. And Gleek is observant as he notices that those are Wonder Woman's bracelets, and not just, you know, the standard silver bracelets that you'd find anywhere else. I guess they're not standard if they can fit on a rhinoceros, just saying. So, having found the rhino wearing Wonder Woman's bracelets, the twins disguise themselves and get into the freight car. And there are our hunters, who are the ringmasters of the circus, and they are hiding the ray, and he mentions Wonder Woman, and Zan and Jane here, and they're caught, because they always are. I think I hear something. It's just about showtime, Zarnum. Good! And remember to hide the mutation ray. We don't want anyone finding out that we transformed Wonder Woman into that beast. Jupiters! We'd better get out of here and notify the super friends. Wonder Twin Powers, deactivate! Now, while no one has any clues as to what happened to Wonder Woman, Batman suggests they check the space circus. Why is Batman suggesting they check the space circus? Maybe because the title of this episode is The Incredible Space Circus. There is nothing in the narrative of this episode that indicates anything is wrong at the space circus. At least as far as Batman knows. Yeah, we know that there's plenty wrong at the space circus if we're being that we're following Zane and Jaina, but nothing happened in this episode so far that would indicate to me that Batman thinks the space circus is the cause of the problem. So they go back to the circus, Superman gets lied to by the villains, and then Aquaman gets hooked. Literally, he, a hook grabs him by the shoulder, and he's thrown in with a space sea beast. There is no way that these two guys should give the super friends any trouble. But they do have space creatures, and they're not afraid to deploy them on unsuspecting people. And now it's time for this episode to become a monster movie. Well, the circus uses the distraction to leave town. Aquaman gets free of his tank by turning the water off, and he gets hit with the mutation ray, and turns into some kind of sea monster. And, uh... The Super Friends need to do a little less posing and a little more dodging if they want to survive this episode. Meanwhile, Superman has this look on his face like his orange serpent has bad breath as, as he ties the orange snake's tail on a lamppost, and he imprisons the snake that way. And now it's time for the rampaging space frog. And that's up to Batman and Robin, who literally wash it away with a fire hydrant. So they head back to the circus, which is gone, and... I don't get it, Batman. The entire space circus up and left without a trace. And now Aquaman's missing, too. That Zarnum character must have captured them all, and there's no telling where they might be. Wait a minute, Superman. Look at this. It's a star map, but there's no course indicated on it. We'd better get back to the Hall of Justice and see if the computer can tell us any more about it. How does Robin not get it? The space circus is designed to be mobile. Ugh, the writing in this particular episode, not good. Neither this episode or the uh, brain statues one just kind of left me cringing, left me wanting something. Anything better than this. So they find a map with no root and they plan to bring it to the computer because the computer has the answer to everything. And of course, this time the computer does not have an answer and it normally gives them all the answers needed to move the plot forward, but not this time. But meanwhile, Gleek is trying to rescue the twins because it seems to be all Gleek is doing this week is rescuing the twins. He uh, grabs an elephant's peanuts with his tail and he sends the peanuts into Zan's cage and the charging elephant eats them and then lets Zan out. So now the twins are free, and Zan is wielding the ray, and of course, in the wrong direction, as he turns himself into a tree creature, and almost like an end from Lord of the Rings, and Jaina is turned into a centaur. And well, the computer's no help, but Batman apparently knows a psychic researcher. This map isn't much to go on, Batman, but I'll give it a try. This new device we invented will amplify the psychic energy field around the object. I should be able to pick up the thoughts of the owner of the map. 
picking up a picture of the Morian galaxy. Whoever owns this map hadn't decided exactly where he was going before he lost it. It's either Sector 11 or Sector 53, I'm not sure. You've been a great help, Dr. Willardson. It won't take us long to check them both out. There's one thing I didn't mention, super friends. In both of those areas, extreme danger awaits you. Yes, Batman went to a psychic to help him with his crime fighting. Wow. So Superman and Batman and Robin go to Sector 11 where they are attacked by tiny space turtles. Nothing to see there, really. They escape rather easily. And that's when Superman shows up on the other sector and finds Wonder Woman and Aquaman fighting. And how he knows it's them now and not when she was on the poster, I don't know. But he recognizes Wonder Woman. But Gleek has set off the mutator ray and changed the twins back. Who then rescue Wonder Woman and Aquaman, returning them to normal. Now Batman and Robin do some work on the flying trapeze before Superman arrests the Ringmasters. So, they found the poachers. Amazingly not a heavy-handed message uh, discussing the evil of poaching, which I'm glad to see. So maybe we learn not to use the mutator ray on our lunch because Gleek creates a living banana, and it chases them. This episode was crap. We're moving right on. Alright, we're going to finish this episode off with challenge, the Challenge of the Super Friends episode, The Final Challenge. And our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. While the Super Friends are battling with the Legion in outer space, an alien in another universe summons them. Who are you? What do you want? I am Thartu, leader of this universe. I have been monitoring your battles for years, yet you have gotten no closer to solving your differences. This is a peaceful universe, and so I shall put a stop to your endless battling. You have no right to interfere with our differences. Your differences will soon come to an end. There will be a series of contests between individuals of the Legion of Doom and the Super Friends. The first group to win three out of five is the victor. The loser will be promptly eliminated. The contest will now begin. While Batman, Wonder Woman, Apache Chief, Aquaman, and Superman are put through these challenges against Legion members, Robin and Samurai follow two Legion members into another universe in search of the missing heroes, and Green Lantern and Hawkman are in yet another universe. The Super Friends win the challenges and save the losing Legion members. The remaining Super Friends arrive to stop the alien, but he sends them back to all their universes. It looks like Var 2 now has a force field of his own. And we can thank the Legion of Doom for saving us. And thanks for saving us, Super Friends. But now that we're even, we have a little surprise for you. A going away party. Goodbye, Super Fools. <laughs> it won't be as easy as you think, Luthor. Look. Now to ship them back to our own world. It was I who brought you all into this universe, and I shall be the one who gets rid of you. We're back in our own universe. And the Legion of Doom has slipped away from us again. After all the injustice they've spread throughout the galaxy, maybe we should have let Fartu punish them. I don't think so, Robin. Vartu's brand of justice only creates more injustice. Besides, the Legion of Doom did get one form of punishment. They'll always remember they lost when they challenged the Super Friends. Okay, so this was an interesting episode. It had a little bit of uh, some of the other uh, space properties that we've seen in the past ten or so years before this one. 
the opening uh, of this episode kind of felt like a Star Wars opening with uh, the star field and the ships flying over the top of the screen into the frame. And not to mention that this feels like a Star Wars space battle with a little bit of a superhero feel to it. Now, Batman gets the uh, drop initially on the villains, but Bizarro pulls him away as Bizarro literally plans to throw Batman into the exhaust, but Superman prevents that. And this episode really wasted no time getting right into the action. There's no uh, two-minute-long scene of the Legion uh, announcing their plan. And uh, things aren't going as well as it could for the Super Friends. The big leaguers can't handle this on their own, so they're calling in the second string. Now, Green Lantern and Hawkman are first-teamers, but the rest are not. And when everyone shows up, all the combatants are teleported away. And Black Manta immediately blames the Super Friends, because of course he does. This is the same character, if you remember last week's episode, when I discussed Swamp of the Living Dead, that old lady in the swamp, the only reason he could think of that she was possibly there was because she was a Super Friends spy. But the uh, disembodied voice separates the Super Friends from the Legion of Doom, puts them each in uh, force fields. These force fields are represented on your screen by yellow force fields. You know, it's kind of yellow energy around the Super Friends. So now both the League and the Legion are going to fight over whose fault this is. And Luthor suggests working together, and then in the other part of the universe, Luthor is going to suggest to the remaining backup super friends that working together, and they split into teams of Legion and Leaguers. Like, it comes to the effect of two Leaguers and two Doom members and on each team, so there you go. So that's how they know both teams know they can trust each other, because they're agreeing to work together. It's a very flimsy excuse for getting the Legion of Doom and super friends to uh, work together. So this old man is the leader of the universe, at least of this universe. He's This is not the same universe that Earth resides in. This is a different universe. And he's going to end the feud with the Legion and the League. And he sets up a contest to decide who wins. This kind of reminds me of the original Star Trek episode, Arena, where the all-powerful aliens uh, make Kirk uh, battle the Gorn to uh, settle their difference. I believe the colony that the Gorn thought was theirs was Cestus III, I believe. And Kirk had to fight the Gorn and... In a contest set up by this all-powerful alien, and and the winner in that episode was going to survive, and the loser destroyed, but Captain Kirk's mercy allowed both of them to leave. And that's a very bare-bones description of a pretty good episode, one of the better episodes of uh, the original series, but kind of something similar happens here. As uh, Val 2, I believe his name is, he is making the Super Friends and the Legion fight to settle their differences. And it's not clear what the, what the winner's going to get, but... We're going to have a best of five contest between the Justice League and the Legion of Doom. So Batman is racing the Riddler and immediately falls for his trap. He falls uh, through some uh, into a hole that's uh, covered by some uh, tree leaves. Meanwhile, in the in a subatomic universe, uh, the Legion plans to maroon Green Lantern and Hawkman, so they're in trouble. Well, Batman uh, is in a cave. He's stuck with a skeleton and he kind of knocks it out and gets out of this little cave that he's in, so... Batman wins because the tunnel was apparently a shortcut to the finish line. And he gets out just before the Riddler does, so... Score one for the good guys. Next is Aquaman and Black Manta. The first to cross the Lake of Terror wins. Black Manta talks some trash and the race is on. Manta wins when he tricks Aquaman and he, uh... Pretended to be in distress. Stuckered Aquaman in. And Aquaman got stuck in an oyster. And people wonder why Aquaman is considered a big joke. So, one to one. And uh, meanwhile, Green Lantern and Hawkman are still trying to get out of the uh, situation they're in into being marooned in the subatomic world. 
Green Lantern has the idea that if they move their bodies closer together, the energy will save them. And it does, because it needs to, and the plot needs to go forward, and... Because the plot needs to go forward, the blast knocks them back into the universe. No explanation as to how this happens, it just happened. So, in another universe full of strange shapes, and an imp appears and tells them something about tricksters, and it really gave me a very Mr. Uh, Mixius Pitalik vibe, but it's not Mixius Pitalik. I can't get us free! For our missing friends. They disappeared from our universe. Well, they're not in this universe. However, with my crystal cube, I can see into all worlds. Oh my, there they are. Thanks, fools. Now that we've got this, we no longer need you. They stole my crystal cube. Holy Sinestro traps. That's not the worst of it. Look! And uh, Sinestro steals the crystal cube, and he leaves them with the little imp. And the imp turns into a small shape, and off they're gone as the crystal cube is stolen. Now, the third contest back on the arena planet, and that's far more interesting than the other stuff that's going on with the Super Friends, involves Cheetah and Wonder Woman, who are tasked with climbing an erupting volcano. I like the animation of the lava flows, and Wonder Woman pulls herself up by the lasso, and Cheetah unties it, knocking it down. And as we often see Wonder Woman showing off her fine la- roping abilities... Wonder Woman uses her lasso to plug the volcano, even though she doesn't make it to the top. So, I kind of liked that win. Now, in the other universe, while Luthor is feeling hopeless, Sinestro and company show up with the cube they stole from the imp, and they find the arena as Scarecrow and Apache Chief square off. They have to defeat a two-headed serpent. And Apache Chief, the uh, master tracker, walks right into the snake's trap. I guess he uh, left his tracking abilities at home for the day, as he just stupidly walks right into the trap the snake is setting for him. But he's resourceful as he grabs one of the snake's head but and ties it uh, to a tree or something and he finds himself wrestling with the other half of the snake and the uh, scarecrow just comes by and unties the snake head and because that happens, uh, Apache Chief is defeated and, uh, and Scarecrow wins this round. So, two to two. And now we're going to finish up with Superman and Bizarro. Whoever beats the robot first wins. So that's when Green Lantern and Hawkman just mysteriously appear in the Batplane because the episode has no other way to get them there. And they join Samurai and Robin. Infrared picks up the Legion of Doom heading toward the arena planet. And Superman beats Bizarro by flying inside the robot and slowing it down. So the Justice League wins one and the losers will be eliminated. So Val 2 goes to destroy the Legion and Superman and Batman look to observe due process on the alien planet and... This really pisses off the judge, and he turns into a giant skeleton and threatens to kill everyone. You know, that's the thing about these all-powerful beings. If you uh, try to play their game a little bit differently than they want you to, they'll get mad and, and try to kill you. Obviously, just putting the Legion of Doom in jail is something that Valtu doesn't want. So, it is perfectly rational that he tries to kill everybody, just because they want due process. So, Superman grabs them away, he breaks the skeleton's hand, and that's that. Then the rest of the Legion shows up and strings Vartu. So, it's interesting that each side thanked the other for their respective saving, but the Legion is going to maroon the Super Friends on this planet, but Robin, flying the Batplane, puts them in a force field. And at the end of this, Vartu just gets pissed and sends everybody away. They wouldn't play his games the way he wanted, so boy, he throws them all home. Well, that's good. At least the, uh, the insane alien being sent everybody home. But, of course, the Legion escapes, and Robin ponders letting, having let Vartu punish them, but Wonder Woman reminds him that would have been an injustice. 
so we end. This was a better episode. I like seeing the Legion and Super Friends have to work together. Those uh, make compelling stories when, when the two sides have to join up to fight a common threat. But, of course, being the villains, they always show their true colors. So, good episode there. Next time, I'm going to cover the new Super Friends episodes, Batman Dead or Alive and Battle of the Gods. And the challenge of the Super Friends episodes, Fairy Tale of Doom and Doomsday. Now, if you want to uh, send the feedback in, tell me what you thought of the show. Man the screen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, just put Man of Screen Podcast in the search feed and the show should come up. And also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. And if you don't mind, why don't you write me a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts? That'll help others find the show. Until next time, folks, have a good one. Take care. Bye. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo. No opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast. <laughs>